G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Life, Culture and Current Events from a Biblical Perspective, 2020 on Vision. We are talking about finance, we're talking about money today in a low interest rate world with interest rates at historic lows and likely to remain low for a long time to come. There is a major challenge and that is around what we do when we rely on returns from our investments to live. And we might ask the question, is there a biblical Christian way of looking at the current financial environment? What will it mean for the stock market, for the property market, for our own investments? Is it's perhaps uh, especially important too for people who are retirees and those who may be planning retirement in the years to come. Well, you can't just put your money in a fixed-term deposit anymore and expect to smile at big returns. Either you trim your expectations or change your strategy. Well, the challenge is that higher return investments may come with higher risks. And who knows what sort of volatility may be ahead in a coronavirus world. Lots of things to talk about. Lots of things could go wrong. I wonder if we can come to some things that will go right. Always good to welcome Alex Cook, the founder of Wealth With Purpose. It's an organization that equips Christian believers to honor God with their finances by teaching sound financial planning skills based on the wisdom of the Bible. Alex Cook, special welcome back to 2020. Hey, Neil. Great to be back. Okay. Hey, Alex, uh, let's talk about living in a low-return world. Uh, just headlines. Last 24 hours, uh, the U.S. Federal Reserve saying that in the U.S. they're expecting like zero interest rates uh, for the next three years. Uh, our own circumstances here in Australia make it very, very low. What are your thoughts for living in a low-return world, in a, 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 in a world, in a nation, where interest rates are very low and likely to be there for a long time? Yeah, Neil, I mean, uh, the Reserve Bank of Australia have said pretty much the same thing. I mean, they've said they'll keep rates low for uh, the foreseeable future. And it does present a huge challenge um, to people that are dependent on their income that their portfolio generates. So many of us, you know, we're, we're working and therefore we can rely on our salaries so we don't have any real issue. But when you get to that retirement phase and you're starting to rely on the income that your capital generates, then it becomes a whole different ball game. And of course, the, the challenge in this environment is where do you put your money in such a way that you'll actually get a reasonable rate of return on it, but without taking too much risk either? Because obviously the, the challenge when you get to, say, you know, 65, the supposed retirement age, but when you get to that is generally because you know you can't work anymore, uh, and therefore you can't make up any lost working years uh, in, from, an, from an income perspective, you therefore don't want to take as much risk as you previously would have. And therefore, the choice of assets becomes 
very, very important. So traditionally, uh, retirees would put a, a certain portion of their money in what we'd call defensive assets. That's the term we use in the industry. And that's things like cash and bonds. But as you say, interest rates are at record lows. The cash rate in Australia is 0.25%. These days, you know, you're lucky if you get 1% on a term deposit. Uh, and therefore, what may have sounded like a, you know, let's say you had half a million in super, that was a significant amount of capital. But all of a sudden, if it's only earning 1%, you're getting, you know, $5,000 a year. So it's not enough to, to live on. Uh, and therefore, that then raises the question, well, what do you do to get the extra income? And this is the, the problem. Therefore, you have to look at growth assets such as, you know, shares and property. Uh, and that's well, traditionally where you get, you know, better income. So when you think about the share market, you have companies that make profits and those profits then get distributed to you in the form of dividends as a shareholder so that you can have that. But the problem with the share market, of course, is retirees often get a little bit nervous by it in the sense that markets rise and fall over time. Uh, obviously, certainly over the last 30 years, they've tended to just go up over time and then you get a few dips here, here and there. Like the, We had obviously a pretty big dip with the global financial crisis, but that's what puts retirees off having too many shares because if you think about the, the GFC, as we call it, uh, shares fell 55%. Now, that's pretty unappealing to a retiree to watch your portfolio fall that much. So there's a, a natural inclination to try and avoid those things. And then, of course, you've got property market. Now, property is a very broad asset class because there's you know, retail property, there's residential property. Uh, and, of course, then you've got... It very varies greatly by geography, you know, metro, you know, big cities, real estate there is very different to, say, regional Australia. And then, of course, there's houses versus units. So there's, there's quite a lot of differentiation amongst the property sector. And so the challenge, if you're a retiree, is where do you get the income uh, in order to maintain a you know, reasonable, comfortable uh, retirement, but without taking too much risk? So that's the, <laughs> that's the challenge, if you like. And we'll there's love a good... to talk about that as we go. But that's the, that's the challenge that people face. A good little, in a nutshell, uh, overview of uh, what we might talk about through this coming hour. And no doubt there'll be listeners who might have their own questions about shares, about property, about living in a low-return world. Uh, our talkback lines, let's open our talkback lines uh, earlier uh, because there might be people with questions about these sorts of things. Uh, 1-800-316-316 if you've got a question or a scenario you'd like to present to Alex today. But Alex, let's talk a little more broadly as we talk about a low-return world because uh, globally with the coronavirus economic crisis, uh, economies have come to a standstill. Uh, some are going backwards and really, you've got to have, in some sense, a uh, you know some level of return and business making a profit in order to actually have economies move on and grow. So you've got whole economies that are at a standstill. How does that fit in with our own thinking on uh, what we might be thinking about our own personal finances? Yeah, it's it's a, it's a fascinating time because what it's done, this uh, coronavirus and the government response, has created enormous uncertainty. Now, I, I would argue that. In one sense, the, world, the future is always uncertain uh, and, and you prepare accordingly because, you know, we all like to think we're in control, but reality is we're not. So there's always, a, I guess, an element of uncertainty and you need to allow for that in, in, your, in proper planning. You know, proper planning allows for uncertainty and possible different um, scenarios. But what the, I think the coronavirus has done 
has created this real issue where because we've shut down whole economies around the world, that's done a lot of capital destruction. So in other words, businesses have gone broke. And in some cases, it, at the moment, it's all very artificial because as you know, in Australia, we've had these enormous subsidies, job keeper, job seeker, etc. cetera. Uh, and they've kept the economy propped up. And so the big unknown uh, is what's going to happen in, you know, a, at the end of September, obviously, the JobKeeper reduces, and then again in March, then it drops to zero. So, uh, and who knows whether they, how long they will continue these things. I think it's, you know, it's a very fluid situation. But the point is that ultimately, a lot of these stimulus measures and that can't go on forever. You can't just keep propping it up. You know, ultimately, you need people to get back to work and business to start creating, you know, profits and creating wealth, etc. So. It's a very uncertain environment economically. But the flip side of that is if you look at the investment market, so if you look at shares, the share market, it fell very substantially when the virus sort of first hit around February and March. It plummeted 36% at its low, and then it subsequently recovered an enormous portion of that. And the markets are only, the Australian market is down only about 15% from its peak. And if you look at the US market, uh, the US market is back at record highs, which is hard to believe given their economy has been hit as hard as it has. So what that means, though, just in, in simple terms, is there's a massive gap now between the economic reality, what's going on in the ground, and how propped up that is, versus the, you know, the investment markets, which are, uh, look have been very, very optimistic you know on the back of potentially finding a vaccine and um, a lot of the stimulus uh, particularly the US central bank all that finding that money finding its way into markets particularly bond markets so this this so it's a very uncertain environment because no one I think really knows what comes next and for this reason uh, certainly what we're doing with clients is is counselling them to take less risk in this environment because it's just such an uncertain period. Um, But I think the real risk is that the equity markets start to roll over again. And they give you an example. We've just had reporting season on the stock market and corporate earnings are down 38%. No surprise there given what's going on. And when you you think about whole shopping centres were closed and all sorts of things, so it's no surprise that earnings were down so much yet the stock market is still high. So it's at record valuations. Um, and one of the keys to making money as an investor, so this really applies to anyone, is you you buy good quality assets and you buy them when they're cheap. That's the, that's the key to, to making money, whether it's in shares or real estate. And so the situation at the moment is you've got assets that you know may be reasonable quality, but they look very expensive. And so that's created a real um, challenge, I think, for those who are dependent on their um, on the income and dependent on their portfolios to uh, you know to pay for their retirement and so forth. So it's a, it's a real challenging okay. uh, environment. So the advice that you're typically giving, it's the general advice, is uh, because of yep. the volatility and the uncertainty with what will be coming so far as coronavirus, so far as the end of 
stimulus or at least the uh, you know the pairing back of stimulus uh, less risk uh, is a good place to be right now but what do you say to people who will because you know, oftentimes uh, you'll say, you know, talk about uh, diversifying your investment portfolio, some that is less risk and then some that might be taking a little more risk. Is there a way you could be thinking about your own finances and, and saying, well, OK, we're going to test the waters on something a little bit more aggressive here, uh, but we're going to be a little bit conservative and not take risk uh, with other uh, finance? What are your thoughts around that? Yeah, look, no, it's a great question. So, um there's a great passage uh, in Ecclesiastes verse 11, uh, 11 verse 2, and it says, invest in seven ventures, yes, in eight, because you do not know what disaster may come upon the land, which is a fantastic sort of passage when you consider the, the disaster that the coronavirus has created, um, you know, both health-wise as well as um, economic-wise. Uh, and what that passage, though, is really telling us is that classic cliche that you, you would have heard and most people have heard is, you know, don't put all your eggs in one basket. There's this need to diversify because what diversification ultimately does is it means you're not reliant on any one investment to do well. You know, some will do well, some will do, you know, you know mediocre and some will do poorly. And by having that kind of spread of investments, you're actually reducing your risk. So that is extremely relevant, I think, in this environment. Um, and, and I think the reason why we're urging people to be so cautious at the moment is just, and the other thing is get out of debt, you know, because this environment, we just don't know what the next 12 months is really going to look like. Get out, getting out of debt is a really important one as well. Um, but I think in, in this environment, one of the things that the government has done is they've deferred uh, the, what they call the insolvency law. So companies are not allowed to trade while they're insolvent. Uh, and the government has put those laws on hold for six months and then they've recently extended that. Now, what that means is there are many businesses out there that we'd, we'd use the term zombie companies that really shouldn't be trading because they're not in good enough shape to be doing so, um, but they've been allowed to. And therefore, that means they're able to get themselves into even more trouble and have bigger debts, if you like. And in six months' time, those companies may then default when those laws uh, you know, essentially come back into place. And that's the kind of uncertainty we're in because we just don't know how many businesses are going to be affected. So, for example, let's take Victoria, and I really feel for them down there, is once it's reopened, how many businesses will just not reopen because they won't be able to? And that's the kind of thing we just don't know. Um, and for that reason, you've got to think... Um, and I always take the view that my, the capital that I have in my possession is really God's, and I'm called to steward that money how am I going to protect the capital first and foremost? And then how am I going to then, you know, take advantage of opportunities that arise? Because even though it is, you know, it comes across negative, the reality is lots of opportunities will pop up along the way over the next couple of years as, as events transpire. But you need to be positioned correctly, so defensively, uh, and you need to, um, you know, get yourself out of debt so you can take advantage of options as they rise too. So it's very... Uh, very important, though, to have that biblical perspective and aligning your finances with God's Word um, is particularly important in this environment. This is 2020 with Neil Johnson, helping you make sense of life, culture and current events from a biblical perspective. 2020 on Vision. Alex Cook from Wealth With Purpose is our guest. We're talking about a low-return world and as a Christian, how do you see that? Is there a God dimension to the way we think about our money in these terms? 
do we, when we think about Christians, are we thinking about people who are just at the poor end of the spectrum? Well, uh, you might be surprised just how well healed so many Christian believers are. And so there is an issue there with the, the idea of investment and being a steward of what God has given to us. Uh, Alex, when we talk about God and a dimension in our finances, uh, just uh, quickly here, because some people would say, well, I just somehow rather, uh, you know, divorce God from my finances because, you know, what I'm reading in the Bible was 2,000 years ago, but uh, this is what's happening in the 21st century. What are your thoughts for including God in your own planning about your finances? <laughs> Look, it is absolutely critical to include God in it. It often uh, surprises Christians to discover that there are more than 2,350 verses on money, wealth, and possessions. Uh, roughly 15% of Jesus's teaching had some economic aspect to it. Uh, and I think 11 of the 39 parables that he's told as well had around uh, you know, that economic uh, issues at the heart of them. And, and I think the reason the Bible talks so much about money uh, is simply that it's the ultimate heart issue. I mean, if you think one of the, the reasons God created us was to be in relationship with him. I mean, the uniqueness of the Christian faith is that we, are, we have a personal God who loves us and wants to, us to know him and to be known, known by him. And so uh, for that very reason, um, that kind of uh, relationship leads itself to um, potential distractions and money can be the ultimate distraction that takes you away from God. And I think if you think about Australia um, as a society, I think, there's a great passage in Deuteronomy. It says, remember the Lord, for it is he who gives you the ability to gain wealth. And I think about Australia, and I think, well, money has taken people away from God because they've forgotten him. They've forgotten where our prosperity comes from. They've forgotten that God is the source of the provision uh, and that, that when you do live God's way, um, society flourishes. Uh, and so faith and money are absolutely critical uh, to, to the believer and that um, from a also for just from the point of view of being obedient to God and being obedient with our, our money in terms of being generous uh, to honoring him with it you know the Bible talks about honoring God with our wealth so it's it's absolutely front and center and I think part of the reason why is as I say it's a heart issue and, and money is and how we handle money is often a very much a spiritual indicator of how we're doing faith-wise. And we'll talk some more about that as we go, but let's take a call. Wendy is on the line from Kununurra in WA. Hi, Wendy. Welcome. Oh, good morning. How exciting. (laughs) (laughs) Wendy, what are your thoughts for our conversation, or do you have a question? Sure. Well, I work four days a week, and I work for the government, so I'm in a pretty good super, and I went in a few years ago and played with it, and we can move things around. I'm not very diligent in checking that, so I'm with. I, I mainly chose Australian shares and cash. I just want to know your opinion about that, and should I change it and go into a Christian super? And which Christian super do you think? Because some of them I looked at, some of the things I thought they thought were ethical, they weren't to me personally. Okay, Wendy, big stuff in uh, those questions. Uh, Alex, your thoughts for Wendy. Yeah, look, some, and there's probably, I guess, two parts to that. Um, obviously, just as a disclaimer, we can't give any sort of product advice over in this sort of format. But certainly, um, the first issue to address, you know, you talked about your product mix, you know, shares and cash and things like that. So what we, we say to people is, 
part of it comes down to the stage of life you're at. Um, if you're the, the younger someone is, the more risk they can afford to take. And as we get older, we generally take less risk. However, you still do need to grow your wealth even in retirement because one of the biggest risk factors for retirees is inflation. Now, inflation at the moment is very, very low, um, but ultimately um, uh, inflation is what we call the silent killer in the industry because if you think about the cost of living, it doubles pretty much every 20 years. So how you invest that money in terms of your superannuation that you were talking about where you have a mix of what we call defensive assets and you mentioned cash versus growth assets where you mentioned shares, the mix you have between is trying to find that trade-off between risk management and not having too much risk, but also trying to grow your wealth so that you can fund your retirement and beat inflation. So they're the kind of considerations. And then, of course, there was that passage we talked about uh, earlier from Ecclesiastes where it's basically suggesting that we need to diversify. So I think prudent money management with your super is you have a diversity of, um, you know, diversification of assets so that you're not taking uh, too much risk in any one area and, and therefore you're allowing for different uh, scenarios to play out across the world. Um, the second area you asked about was around the ethics side of it, and that's a real challenge because, as you say, um, there are two, um, no, no two people think of things necessarily the exact same way. So if you take alcohol, for example, some Christians don't drink it and they're against it. Other Christians do have an you know, occasional glass of wine and don't think anything. So you do get this sort of differentiation of views. Alex, we might so need to me. pick this up after the news and uh, we might talk some more about the ethics Alex, let's talk about those people who are in retirement now or planning retirement, say, in the next decade, uh, potential retirees. This is particularly concerning when uh, when there's such a low return world today. What are your thoughts for retirees and those who are close to that? Yeah, look, it's a, it's a massive issue for them um, because obviously these days we're all living longer. So retirement, you know, 100 years ago was either non-existent or only, you know, three to five years. Now we're living for uh, retirements of 20 to 30 years. So it, it's a much more uh, serious issue and one we need to plan for much more carefully. Um, so the two big issues that retirees really face uh, one is inflation risk, that is that the cost of living rises throughout their retirement. And the second risk that they face is what we call sequencing risk. Now, what does that mean in just simple, you know, simple language is the fact that when you retire, sequencing risk is the risk that you get very poor returns in your early years on retirement. So let's say someone's 65 and then they retire and then their portfolio falls, you know, 20% in the first year what that can, the impact that that can have is it will cost them potentially 10, their money will run out 10 years sooner, okay, which is obviously a very, very serious issue, you know, given how, how long we're all living for these days. So there's ways of addressing that um, that people need to think through. So to address those two key risks that everyone faces, to beat inflation, ultimately you do need exposure to growth assets, and that's typically shares and property they're the kind of things that will grow over time and that's what will get you your inflation beating type turns out you know over a long period the downside of those assets of course is they can be give you very poor returns at the wrong time and that's where the whole sequencing risk comes in you know you could have you know stock market crashes like let's say someone retired at the start of this year um you know, in January, and then all of a sudden the stock market fell 36%. So 
you've got these two, if you like, risks that are trade-offs against each other. Because to, to beat inflation, you need to grow, and then to, to, to beat negative returns, you need to be defensive. And that's the, the big risks uh, the retirees currently face. Um, now, there's a couple of solutions to these things. Um, one solution, and we've mentioned it on this call already today, and that is diversification. So that's, you know, very important 101, if you like. The second approach that we encourage people to have is what we call a bucket-based approach. And that is that particularly when people retire and they're going to what we call the pension phase, you know, they're starting to draw down income from their portfolio. When you're in that phase, you should always have a minimum of two years' worth of cash uh, to cover your living expenses, at least two years' worth uh, out of your portfolio. Because that way, when things happen, and they do, you know, crazy things happen, coronaviruses and stock market crashes, all these things, they've all happened throughout history regularly, is when that happens, you don't want to be forced to sell things at the worst possible time. So you have this bucket, which is your cash bucket. Then you'll have ones, uh, what I'd call a second bucket for short-term things. So maybe you need a new car in three years' time, maybe a holiday, things like that, and you have a little bit of low risk for that. And then, of course, is your long-term growth where you have your growth assets. So if you think of it in little buckets and you have different amounts allocated to those buckets to make sure that you can achieve your goals because ultimately you know, money management and retirement planning is about being able to ensure that you can meet your goals. Now, one goal for everyone, of course, is just the income they need in retirement. As believers, um, one of the key things is that we can continue to live generously even when we're retired, even when we no longer got salaried employment. And so these are some of the strategies you can put in place to manage your capital effectively, irrespective of what's going on in the world, because we can't control that, but we can control our response to it and the way we prepare ourselves. So yep. there, there's some good stuff. To think about. Alex, let's turn our attention to younger people because, uh, you know, we talk retirement, we're talking uh, the upper end, the older end, those who are contemplating retirement, those who are already in retirement. Let's turn some focus to younger people because you talked a little about debt uh, earlier and uh, and you know obviously uh, uh, debt is one of those things that we're always cautious about even in a biblical sense but younger people taking on debt in a low interest rate environment uh, just inspired by the idea that uh, at this time uh, governments uh, tend to and what they do with uh, all sorts of uh, infrastructure spending at a time when there are low interest rates and borrowing can happen in a significant way and sometimes that's actually adv- advantageous to uh, governments of nations. Does that work the same way for individuals? So if at the, at the younger end here, taking on debt, uh, how much of a risk is that when you know that for a long-term future there may actually be real advantage in that? What are your thoughts? Yeah, no, look, fabulous question. Look, the I'll start with a biblical perspective. So nowhere in the Bible does it suggest Debt is sinful, so having debt is not a problem per se. Um, however, the amount of debt we have can cause us to take on too much risk. So in Proverbs, it says that the rich rules over the poor and the borrower becomes the slave of the lender. And so the, in this environment where you have very low interest rates, you know, it's hard to believe that you can get a home loan for 2.5%. If you'd asked someone that 10 years ago, they never would have believed you. 
Uh, in fact, I think it's in Denmark. You can actually get a home loan with a negative interest rate. Once again, hard to believe it exists, but it does. Um, so in that crazy environment, the, to me, what the Bible is suggesting is that you have to be very cautious with your debt because if you take on too much and then all of a sudden interest rates were to spike, then you might find yourselves, yourself very much in enslaved because all of a sudden your cash flow in your day-to-day budget would be very negatively impacted. So the, the warning message I have for young people is don't be lured in by these low interest rates. Ask yourself if interest rates were to normalize and a home loan went to 5% or 8%, can you um, sustain your mortgage at 8%? What would your life look like if interest rates were at 8%? And if you can answer that question comfortably, uh, then I think that's okay. Then you can take on that level of debt. If, on the other hand, you think mm, at eight percent, you know, I, I just couldn't afford to service it, then you really need to think very carefully about how much debt you can take on. The other thing I always say to young people is start small and work your way up. Our culture is all about having everything now, and so you know, have your dream home at age thirty-five rather than traditionally where you get it at sixty or sixty-five. Um, so start small and work your way up, you know, buy a small apartment and then buy a small house, you know, work your way up rather than trying to get it all at once. And that way you minimise your debt and you, you keep yourself in a safe position. So you're not jeopardising your future, you're not enslaving yourself. And of course, most importantly, you can continue to sow into God's kingdom. You can use your, your surplus to, to do good things because ultimately money is for, for doing good. So uh, let's things for young people. Just to mention Australian home loan interest rates, uh, I heard of an online rate being offered in Australia. It's an online rate, so one point nine percent, and uh, that fixed uh, uh, intro rate for one year. So, uh, if you've got a home loan interest rate that might be uh, early threes or high twos. Uh, what are your thoughts for people uh, taking advantage of the idea of shopping around? Is this something you ought to be doing, a review of your uh, home loan mortgage uh, regularly? How does this all uh, work with you, Alex? Yeah, no, absolutely. Look, so a couple of things there. Firstly, um, you've got to be very careful with some of those honeymoon rates because after the first 12 months has expired, those rates can jump quite significantly. I do think we it's a very interesting environment whereby it's certainly worth considering refinancing your home. If you've got uh, debt and it's been at a higher rate, can you potentially refinance and lock in lower rates given how low they are? It's hard to see that they can go much lower. I mean, anything's possible. You know, a central bank could go to negative rates and, and rates could come off a little bit further, but very, you know, we're getting so so much to the low end. You'd have to say, is it a good time to refinance and, and lock in lower rates, which is something some people might want to consider based on their situation. Um, but uh, also, as I say, the, the key issue is being able to make sure that you can, whatever you, t- whatever you do, you can service it easily and allow for a buffer because the the danger of these low rates is you end up borrowing more money than you otherwise would have and of course rates spike at some point and you then find yourself in a very difficult cash flow position so yes take certainly be careful but take advantage of it too and and if you've already got debt then try, try and you know lock in rates at nice low levels something that might be appropriate for some people 
Alex, let's talk about if you've got spare money. And uh, look, for some listeners, they're going to be saying, who's got spare money? Uh, I wish I even had a job. Uh, so there are some uh, different uh, people li- listening, no doubt, from different perspectives here. But for the person who's got uh, some spare money and looking to invest, uh, identifying what might be a growth industry. Because I imagine that at a time like this when things are so volatile, uh, you've got some industries that will be potentially on the decline, some that will be into uh, real growth for the future. Uh, how do you uh, uh, how do you approach the idea of uh, assessing where you might put your investment dollars uh, so that the industries that you're investing in are in growth industries? Yeah, look, fabulous, fabulous question. And I think, as you say, in this environment, you've got some industries that are, you know, being hit very hard, like, say, tourism and travel. And then you've got other industries like technology that are booming. I mean, if you think about Zoom, for example, in the US, its share price has gone up uh, massively over the last, uh, you know, six months uh, because we've all moved online almost overnight. So there's always opportunities in these things. So there's different ways of getting exposed to these things. Um, Some is you you can take an an active approach whereby you choose to invest in certain sectors. So um, the simplest way for most people is using what we call managed funds. Uh, And managed funds often uh, have a range of options. Some can be very diversified. So they invest, say, in just a broad range of international shares. And some can be very specific. So they can be technology-based funds or um, healthcare-based funds, etc. I typically prefer a broader-based approach just simply because you want to diversify. um, And trying to pick winners is always challenging because... You might pick a right sector. So you might say, right, technology is a great area to be. However, even though they may have fabulous businesses, they may be overvalued. They might be too expensive. So you only make money if you can buy good quality cheaply. It's no point buying something that's really good quality um, but is very expensive because you're not going to necessarily make any money out of it. So the, the key thing here, I think, is being humble about it because a lot of us go into investing with assumptions about the future and often investing is a very humbling game over time. So I say take a diversified approach and probably the simplest strategy that I encourage for everybody and uh, particularly younger but certainly most people is a strategy of what we call dollar cost averaging. Now this is a really important one because it's the simplest way to grow your wealth over time and what it is is let's assume you have a small amount you can save every month. Let's make up a figure. Let's say it's $500 a month you can afford to save and you put that $500 a month into a particular investment, a particular managed fund, and you do that repeatedly uh, every month, year in, year out. And if you do that over time, which is what most of us are sort of doing by default with our superannuation, but if you keep doing that over time, over a 10-year, 20-year, 30-year period, you will grow uh, significant wealth just through that discipline of saving and putting money aside into good quality growth investments over time really simple strategy um, and it's one of the most attractive ones um, for people particularly the younger you are and as I say most of us are kind of doing this by default through our superannuation funds anyway a really Uh, useful one I imagine that that one of the biggest assets that any of us have right now is to actually have a job and uh, lots of Australians still have their jobs Uh, lots of Australians though right now don't have a job 
there's interesting developments. Uh, yesterday, uh, the unexpected drop in the unemployment rate was probably good news. Uh, there are all sorts of indicators for where we're heading. You were saying that share markets around the world are booming right now. So are these indicators that might, on the face of it, give us some good impression about uh, what to look forward to? Do they actually offer some level of uh, optimism and hope uh, for a good, strong financial recovery? What are your thoughts here? Yeah, look, it's a fabulous question because to me, you've always got to look underneath the bonnet is how I describe it, you know, what's under the bonnet. Um, And the unemployment figures in Australia that are put out by the ABS, at the moment, I would say they're temporarily meaningless. And the reason why I'd say that is simply the fact that you've got roughly 3 million or so Australians that are on the JobKeeper program, the JobKeeper subsidy program, where businesses are essentially having their wages subsidised by the government to pay employees. Um, And therefore, what we don't really know is what the real unemployment rate is, because we don't know how many of those people may lose their jobs when that subsidy subsides. So the the headline figure in itself is probably a bit meaningless. Um, the other figure that we follow much more closely is what we call the underemployment. So the unemployment figures are misleading in the sense that if you work just one hour a week, then you are deemed to be employed, not unemployed, even if you've only got one hour. But one hour, of course, doesn't pay your bills and doesn't pay your mortgage and your rent and so forth. Um, so the figure we also look at is what's called underemployment. And they're people who do have jobs but would prefer, say, more hours and so forth. So one of the things that came through, for example, in the unemployment rate uh, yesterday is there had been a big jump in part-time work. Now, part-time, part-time work for some people is great, but for others it's nowhere near enough to, you know, to pay the bills and so forth. So you've always got to look at these things and say, what's the real detail here? What's this really telling me? What's really going on? Um, and I th- so I think the big unknown for Australia and indeed anywhere in the West is what happens when these subsidies stop and what will the real unemployment rate, um, will, you know, will it actually be? Of course, the big thing is if you are, do find yourself unemployed, what do you do? How do you, how do you deal with that? And that, I think, is probably a, something we could probably explore as well because that, to me, is a, um, a big issue. How do you... What do you do if you find yourself unemployed, I think, is a very relevant issue at the moment. Okay, taking another broad brush stroke here, where you've got international governments who've been, you know, to use a, a terminology, printing money, the idea of quantitative easing, and in order to, in some ways, artificially create levels of inflation that might increase uh, the uh, operations of an economy. That has all sorts of issues for the value of currencies and things like that. Uh, what are your thoughts for some of the other things that are happening in a big scale here that might affect the way we think about our own finances for the future? Yeah, well, so a lot of what's going on with some of those things like the money printing, as you say, um, they seem to be getting bigger and bigger every time we have a crisis and they seem to be getting more and more uh, unconventional. So, when the GFC first hit, uh, you know, 12 years ago now, um, you know, America particularly started printing money uh, wildly uh, to try and prop it all up and prop up their banking system and so forth. This time around, they've done that even more. So every time we have a crisis, we seem to get even bigger and bigger. 
And likewise, um, in Australia, we're now printing money as well to help fund the, you know, the $200 billion deficit that's occurred um, because of all the stimulus packages. So those things, uh, I think the concern that people have is ultimately those things may well be inflationary uh, over time, and so you'll need to protect yourself from inflationary. I, I don't think that's a, a problem in the short term. I think in the short term, we're in a very deflationary, recessionary condition, so people need to more be focused on protecting their capital. Uh, and then going forward, the issue will be uh, how do you protect yourself from inflation? Uh, and that's that's why you need to, when you, when you invest money, you do need to remain in fairly liquid things, so you've got control over where you deploy the money. Um, but as I say, these policies seem to be getting more and more unconventional. If you'd asked anyone 10 years ago in any mainstream economist, no one would have thought that the cash rate in Australia would ever get down to you know, 0.25. Uh, and is it possible that in Australia that we see negative interest rates? The central bank have said, no, they don't want to do that. And I think they've seen some of the unforeseen consequences of that over in Europe and, and Japan where they've got negative rates. Um, it doesn't seem to, to, to work. It doesn't seem to have that stimulatory effect that they're hoping it would have. Um, and so I think as Christians, we need to sort of take a step back and say, are these policies, are they sensible? Are they, um, are they biblical? And are they sustainable? And I think when you, when you work your way through it, you realise that they're not. Um, and they, 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 it's... I think central banks to some degree are in the dark and are kind of hoping that things will get better and that they won't need to do much anymore. And of course, they're now very dependent on governments having to borrow and stimulate their economy to keep it all, to keep the whole thing going. I do think there is a real risk um, that we have another crisis of sorts over the next couple of years as some of these things start to get unwound. And that's why I think Christians need to be very cautious about how they manage their capital. They need to be very liquid in how they do it. That is, they, they need to keep, you know, to be able to access it very easily. Uh, and they need to take the view that the world, it's a fallen world and that the kind of buy-the-dip mentality that's been around for the last 30, 40 years may well be tested. Uh, because if you go back in history, like say the Great Depression, People forget that shares fell 85% back then, um, and in the 1970s, shares fell 70%. So there are periods in history when you do get big drawdowns and you know big capital declines. And of course, there's a lot of geopolitical activity at the moment, geopolitical tensions with China and so forth. So I think Christians always need to remember that we're in a fallen world, and we do need to steward capital in a way that Wise. We should never be fearful or, you know, panic or anything like that. But we do need to be very wise in terms of looking at the situation very realistically and ask, how, what, what should I be doing if different scenarios play out? What are some of those scenarios, and how might I manage my capital in those different scenarios? Um, and learning how to do it, because a lot of people just sort of switch off and hope someone else will do it for them. And I don't think that's, I think, you know, as believers, we need to make sure we're always taking personal responsibility for how we manage our money. Very, very important, I think, in this well, environment, given these crazy policies. Alex, we've covered a lot of ground over this past hour, and uh, I know that uh, listeners might be, uh, inclined to check on some things a little more deeply. You do have a whole bunch of resources on your Wealth With Purpose website. I'll point people there, wealthwithpurpose.com. 
Uh, you've got free ebooks. Uh, you've got what is called a My Toolkit. Uh, there are free videos. Uh, there's podcast content. Uh, there's all sorts of other content as well uh, that is available that is a benefit to churches. And so for people going to wealthwithpurpose.com, uh, is there any detail there about any upcoming webinars uh, you might have uh, planned, Alex? Yeah, look, we've got quite a few coming up over the next four weeks, some on retirement, some on insurance and other topics. And what I would encourage people to do is just to sign up to the newsletter and that way you'll get notified of those. So they don't. Have, we've got a lot of past webinars on the website that people can access if that's of interest to them, but future ones will be uh, promoted through our newsletter. So, yeah, jump on, grab the newsletter, and, um, yeah, we'll keep you informed with all future uh, activities, events and webinars and so forth. Well, Alex Cook is the founder of Wealth With Purpose and equipping Christian believers to honour God with our finances. Uh, great insights, uh, great tips and uh, some good advice there for how you might look at managing finances. Alex Cook, uh, always good getting uh, such great updates with you and we'll plan to do this again before too long. Things are very volatile and we do like to talk about finance and particularly when there is a Christian foundation, a biblical Christian foundation to the things we talk about. Alex, thanks so much for joining us today on 2020. My pleasure, Neil. Great to be with you. Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au.